Now, when you think of faith, what comes to mind? Is it a word you use when things are going good? I did good because I had faith. Is it a word you use when you're trying to comfort someone? Just have faith. Is it a word you use to describe how you've overcome life's obstacles? I got through this tough time because I had faith. There are many ways the word faith is used. It's used in general. There are all kinds of ideas as to what it means. Christianity has dibs on what it really means and how it's applied in a person's life. Faith originates with God. This morning, we're going to look at a well-known chapter on faith. We're going to look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Open your Bibles. If you, have a, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. I'm sorry I don't use King James Version, <laughs> so please don't hate. <laughs> we're, we're using... <laughs> well, that's good. No thous and these and arts and all that stuff, so... We're going to just read straight from ESV. Um, if, if you could do me a favor, I know you're not used, used to this, but can you just stand as we read verses 1 through 19, please? Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, though which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith he died. Though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death. And he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God, concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By faith, by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with them of the same promise, where he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. She conceived, considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as their numeral grains of sand by the seashore. These all died by, in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. 
if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, was in an act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. He may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could see from this passage that our Old Testament fathers, they received salvific blessings by faith. New covenant, as new covenant believers, we receive these blessings by faith as well. So we must emulate God, the faith of those that came before us. Lord, I pray this morning that if there's people here that don't know you, that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray those that are here and they're discouraged in their faith and they're kind of, they're, they're not being as consistent as they ought to. I pray that you would encourage them, God, in their faith. And those that are doing well and excelling, I pray they would continue to do well and excel. I ask God that you would bless this message. I'm nobody asking you to use me for your glory to encourage your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to share three points from this passage. Firstly, the definition of faith. This can be seen in verses 1 through 3. Secondly, illustrations of faith. This can be seen in verses 4 through 19. And lastly, last major point, illustrations or fruit of faith. I'm sorry, fruit of faith. So those three major points I want to share with you. <clears throat> now, before we get into this passage, I think it's important to understand the background and context for the book of Hebrews. Now, the first 10 chapters are written to show that Christ is superior, better than anything connected to the Old Covenant. Christ is a better is a better than the priests. He provided a better sacrifice and still the better covenant. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses, Aaron, Joshua. He's better than anything that Judaism had to offer. That was a religion of the Old Testament. Judaism originated with God, and it was pure at first. However, it evolved and became different than what God had intended it to be. It became heavily works-oriented, and it was legalistic, and it was a twisted. It was twisted in work. It was a twisted work system. Now, the writer of Hebrews writes to persuade them to appropriate the new covenant. He's saying, "Make the new covenant yours." He's asking Jews to step away from Judaism. The temple, the sacrifices, the priests, and to come to the new covenant. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is building up to, till we get to this point. Now, naturally, a question is raised. Well, how does a person oriented to works come to the new covenant? 
a grace system and not one of works. Well, surprisingly, in the Old Testament, God never saved anybody by works. If you look at Romans, for example, Romans 4.3, it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Or in the previous chapter, 10.38, my righteous one shall live by faith. Works is a byproduct. Jesus' last words on, on dying on the cross was, it's finished. It's finished. There's nothing for man to do. Jesus finished the work on the cross. Now let's look at the, the first point. Excuse me. Starbucks. <laughs> Water. <laughs> the first point. Definition of faith. This could be seen in verses 1 through, well, mainly verse 1, but we're going to look at the first three verses there. Now, verse 1 reads, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, verse 1 is not an explicit definition, theological definition of faith, but it is a general definition of faith. It highlights basic characteristics of faith. It will be defined and illustrated more clearly throughout the chapter. For example, if you look at, a key word will be by faith. If you look at verse 4, by faith. Verse 5, by faith. Verse 7, by faith. Verse 8, by faith. On and on and on, you'll see that key phrase <coughs> being mentioned. So what this verse is saying, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What this is saying is that faith is having a strong hope in the future that it becomes a reality now. And it causes you to build your whole life around it. It is believing in what you hope for as though you possess it now. It means to have a present essence of a future reality. First, verse 1 is further defined and, and further and illustrated throughout chapter 11. We'll see that. If you have committed your life, your whole life, to believing and following Jesus by becoming a disciple, then you're living out this verse. You're living out this verse. You have never seen God. You have never seen Jesus. I know some people claim they've seen Jesus on a tortilla a while ago, but that's, that's not true. <laughs> He's really not a tortilla. You have never... You have never been to heaven? You believe in a gospel that was passed down to you? You trust that you will inherit eternal life if you repent of your sin and turn to Christ for forgiveness of sins. You have hope that you will go to heaven. These are all things that you're sure of. You're convinced they are true, and you live for this today. That's what verse 1 is, is describing when a person does that. One commentary writing on the subject of faith writes, quote, It is believing in God against the world, against what is tangible, against what is obvious. Take it a step further. It is rejecting our senses for the sake of our hope. The average man says, take what you want, take what you can taste, touch, smell, grab whatever you can grab that meets the need, 
of your senses. And the Bible says, don't believe your senses. Believe God who can only be touched by faith. End quote. Now, there are two ways that you can live in this world. The empirical way. This is the most common way. This is to live by sight. To base everything on what you can see. Or the Christian way. The less common way to live by faith. Base your life primarily, ultimately, on what you cannot see. I don't know if you guys saw that movie Bird Box. They put the That's kind of how the Christian should live. After all, 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, But we walk... By, we walk by faith and not by sight. One more time. We walk by faith and not by sight. If you have placed your faith in the gospel of Jesus, then you're called to a life of faith. To live by faith is to commit your entire earthly lives and eternal destiny on things which you have never seen. People of God have always live this way. When, pay, when faith is placed in God, it leads to a positive status. Look at verse 2. Excuse me. For by it, the people of old receive commendation. God makes his approval known to those who trust in him. Albert Moeller writes that that the commendation mentioned here is referring to eschatological approval. It's eternal commendation as opposed to eternal condemnation. God requires faith in existence. God requires faith in his existence and anything less falls short. For example, in verse six, I'm jumping around a bit. We'll go back here in a second, but verse six, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God recognizes faith and rewards those who seek him. I believe that is why we can understand our origin and our beginning of life. Look at verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Faith explains our world. If you're a believer in Christ, then your starting point for understanding creation is the Bible, not philosophy or science. There's no need to labor in what God has clearly revealed in the scripture. For example... Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There it is. You don't need science. You don't need philosophy. God created the heavens and the earth. Or John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made. There you go. God, faith explains the world. Faith in God pleases God. 
Faith has key components. Now let's look at the second major point. Some examples of faithful men and women who looked forward to God's promise of heaven and the promised coming Messiah. Second point, illustrations of faith. Verses 4 through 19. Sorry. <laughs> In these next chunk of verses, we can see examples and illustrations of what it means to walk by faith. These key figures are referred to as patriarchs and matriarchs. They devoted their lives to following God and put their faith in God and promises, even though they would never experience them in their lifetime. We can see the sacrifices that they made to follow God. We can see the commitments that they made. We can see that they had assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen by their actions. For interest of time, we'll not look at each illustration. Instead, we'll zoom in on one key figure, Abraham, the father of faith. It is through Abraham's lineage that Jesus Christ the Messiah would come. It is the hope that strengthened Abraham as he left his hometown of Ur to follow God. Now let's look at verses 8 through 10. From this passage, we can glean three key traits of the faith from the life of Abraham. Firstly, we can see Abraham trusted God with his life. Abraham trusted God with his life. Verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out of the place that he was received as an inheritance, he went out not knowing where he was going. How many of you guys would, if your friend say, hey, let's go somewhere, I don't know where we're going. How many of you would follow them? He did not know where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with them of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham forsook all to follow God. This is the beginning step to following God. It's a willingness to commit your whole life to God, not knowing all the details, but confidently knowing God will take care of you. He was probably very comfortable in his hometown, being around his friends, his family, his business, his religion, his routine, his familiar surroundings. He left his comfort zone to go where God called him, to where God would lead him. Now, just to give you a little more background on his, on his life, he, Scripture tells us he lived in Ur and Chaldea. It was a general region of Mesopotamia between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. It was located near the Garden of Eden. His place of residence was a fertile land and culturally advanced he grew up in an unbelieving, adulterous society, according to Joshua 24.2. He surrounded where he, the religion that he was surrounded by. They worshipped the moon, the sun, and star gods. They had temples and with priests in them. 
that made sacrifices and libations. Now it's amazing how God called him out of this paganism. It also shows us that we should never hesitate to go to dark places. God works through this. As soon as he heard God's call, he obeyed and, and strived to live for God's will. He had little information as to where he was going, but he trusted God to get him there. Once he left his hometown, he lived in uncomfortable surroundings, for he lived in tents, verse 9 tells us. When a man calls God, when God calls a man to follow him, it's instantly and went through whole lives. The story of God calling Abraham is very identical to Jesus calling his first disciples. For example, you don't need to turn there, but in Matthew 4, 18-22, it reads, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. There was no like, hey, I gotta, I gotta, you know, check my email. Hold on, or I gotta, you know, whatever. It was immediately they followed him. And in twenty-one, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left their boat. They left their father and followed him. Now this is very, like I said, this story is very similar to the calling of Abraham. Abraham left everything that was important in his life to obey and follow God. The bottom line is Abraham forsook the world to follow God. He left the treasures and pleasures of this world and all they had to offer to follow God. Though God did tell him to leave it all, he graciously provided him with a glimpse of his destination. This provided strength and motivation and hope to endure the journey. He gave Abraham a present substance, a hope to see the future blessings that come. Verse 10 says, he was looking forward to the heavenly land and not the earthly land. So, again, I'm highlighting some traits of the faith of Abraham, what we can learn, I shared with you that he trusted God with his whole life. Secondly, we can learn about Abraham's faith is he trusted God's word. He trusted God's word. Verse 11 and 12 highlight that. It says, By faith Sarah received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since he considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man as him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as their innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Abraham trusted God's word. He had faith that God would give him a miracle child. God said he would do a miracle. Abraham and Sarah believed in what God promised. Now, being human and being imperfect you know, they struggled with this idea that God would give them the promised son at an old age. 
Scripture tells us that they laughed at the idea. Logically, this is understandable, since she was barren and beyond the age of childbearing. The problem with that logic is nothing's impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Often, when things are seen impossible, it leads to taking matters into our own hands. It leads to trying to give God a hand. Does that sound familiar to anybody? (laughs) Sarah and Abraham did this. They came up with the plan B. They decided to have a son with Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. Now, the fruit of this decision was costly, since even to this day, there's enmity between the Arabs and the Jews. In spite of all of this, and this is another thing to highlight, sometimes faith, you struggle with your faith. And we can see God still works through that. In spite of all this, they trusted God, God's word, to grant them a miracle son in old age. They believed in 1 Samuel 2.6 that says, The Lord kills and the Lord gives life. He trusted God's word. He trusted God with his life. He trusted God's word. And, um, and so the other thing is that he had faith that God would make his descendants numerous. It says in verse 12, Therefore, from one man as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. He had faith that God would make his descendants numerous. The the description of how numerous his descendants would be, stars of heaven, grains of sand, basically more than he can imagine, tons, a lot. Abraham's name was changed to Abraham by God. And basically it means father of multitudes. He didn't see the future with his physical eyes, but only with his spiritual eyes. That is what faith is. Believing God to do what he said he will do. He also had faith that the promised Messiah would come through his lineage. You don't need to turn there, but in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, I'm going to read that real quick. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, And him who dishonors you will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus Christ is a descendant of Abraham. He looked forward to the coming Messiah. Today we sit in this room because of the promise made to Abraham. All the families are blessed, of the earth are blessed. We have the Messiah. He has come. Jesus was born. He came to die. He was buried. He is alive now. And all who put faith and trust in Jesus will inherit eternal life. So again, I highlighted two traits. I'm going to highlight the third one. 
The first trait I highlighted of Abraham was that he trusted God with his life. He trusted God's word. And thirdly, he trusted in God's control over life. He trusted God's control over life. Jump with me to verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and who he had received the promises was an act of offering up his only son, in whom it was said, through Isaac your offspring shall, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By now, Abraham had seen the hand of God in his life. He's seen God work through his travels as a sojourner, experienced God's protection and providence through living in tents, witnessed God deliver his nephew Lot on a few occasions, protect his wife from being taken away, seen God follow through with giving him a miracle son. Now he's tested with that which is most sacred to him. God is asking him to sacrifice his son to show his commitment to God. He's faced with a decision. Does he love his son more than God? Does he trust God with his son's life? His son whom he loved dearly. Well, praise God. We read the story. If you read the story, he trusted God. He was willing to offer his son up. And he passed the test. He trusted God not only to watch over his life, but he trusted God over his son's life. His faith grew as God revealed himself. Now the test to sacrifice his son, whom he dearly loved, is a picture of what, sh- what would eventually happen in the future. God would sacrifice his son, who he loved dearly, on the cross by shedding his blood and offering forgiveness of sins to all that would trust in him. I have some questions for you. Do you trust God with your life? Do you believe God will keep his word in your life? Do you believe God is in control of your life? If yes, please continue to excel. If no, what's holding you back? God can be trusted. <clears throat> to keep, so keeping track with me, we've looked at two major points. Now we're going to look at the last third point. I hope I'm not confusing you with this. The last major point, the fruit of faith. That's in verses 13 through 16. Now these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. 
Now, some of the fruit of the faith that these men had was contentment in God's plan. Verse 13 says, they all died in faith, not receiving the things promised. They saw them from a distance. The Old Testament saints mentioned here and the ones mentioned later in this chapter, all lived their lives believing God, in God and his promises, but never experienced them in their lifetime. They had contentment in God's plan. They were secure in the part they would play in the history of faith. They traveled long distance as strangers and exiles on earth. The fruit of their faith is they were content in the mission God gave them to pass the baton of faith throughout the history to lead us to where we are today. Another fruit of their faith is heaven. Heaven. God promised them a homeland, a better country, prepared by God for them, for us. For all that place faith in Jesus, heaven is promised. And it's and is the end result of having faith in Jesus Christ. Another fruit that these men had is a good standing before God. This I'm going to jump back a little bit, but in verse 2, it says, Faith in God provides a good standing with God. It says, The saints received commendation. When a man commits his life to God and has faith in him, it pleases God. We see that from verse 6. It says, And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So they had the fruit that they experienced was contentment in God's plan, heaven, a good standing before God. And another fruit that they had was God knows those who have faith in him. God knows those who have faith in him. This is the pinnacle of faith. God knows those who put faith in him. If you look at the last verse of 16. I'm sorry, yeah, 16. As it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. God is not ashamed to be called their God. Jeremiah 32, 38 says, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So in conclusion, if you, don't need, if you don't know what it means to have faith in God, it starts with hearing God's word, which we did today. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for letting us open up your word. We walk by faith and not by sight. We thank you that you have revealed yourself in the scriptures and that we can trust you. I pray today if someone here doesn't know you, I pray that you reveal yourself to them. I pray this morning if someone does know you and they're struggling in their faith, I pray you would encourage them. 
I pray that if there are those that are here that are doing well, I pray that we continue to do well. We thank you for all that you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen.